0: The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association.
1: Welcome to the Hennessy Report by Keystone Partners. I'm Dave Hennessy and today's guest is Nakisha Lopez, the CHRO of Baylor Scott and White, the largest not-for-profit healthcare provider in Texas. And in this episode, she describes how they're improving patient experience and as an organization focused on the growth mindset and how that can impact their employees, caregivers, and the patients, how they've invested more in mental health and well-being for all their stakeholders and have also doubled down in leadership development and coaching. They have a strategy of customer centricity, she talks about, and what they're doing in DEIB, especially around creating a culture of inclusion. And also throughout all these things, she talks about how they measure success in all these areas and others. You'll enjoy Nikisha and this episode. Next up on the podcast is the Chief People Officer of Chroma Technology, Mara Rivera, and now our conversation with Nikisha Lopez. Nikisha, welcome to the podcast
0: hello thank you thank you for having me today
1: i'm so glad to have you and glad that my colleague has introduced us to you. I understand the two of you have been part of a CHRO luncheon roundtable in Dallas.
0: We have. We have. Our first
1: question, to Keisha, we always like to start the podcast learning a little bit about our guests. Is there a moment you can share early in your life that, as you think back on it now, it kind of informs who you've become as a person, as a professional?
0: I remember probably it was about two years post-college, and at that time I was working for Lehman Brothers, who no longer exists. <laughs> And I was probably six months into the role and I was in an HR role, pretty entry level. And there was an opportunity that presented itself for a manager level role in HR operations. And I asked the hiring manager if I could be considered or would I be considered for this particular role? I remember her saying to me that she didn't see me in the role just yet and that I needed more time to develop and that was a defining moment for me. And I think some people could be really disenfranchised or feel really disappointed by that moment. But for me, I think it was almost an inspiring moment for me because I thought, well, that situation is not going to happen to me again. And if it did, what am I going to learn from that? So I spent the next couple of months following that situation, really digging in and understanding and, and talking to my peers and other leaders in the organization around what were the opportunities for me and how can I develop And I really put some intentionality into my focus areas over the next couple of months. It so happened they hired someone for that role. About three to four months later, that person didn't work out. And then they actually offered the role to me because I really put in a lot of the work. I think the biggest message from that, if you just reflect and think back, is having a growth mindset. I could have really taken that moment and not stepped forward and, and invested in the opportunities that were there for me at the moment, but I did. And it resulted in me getting that opportunity just at that time, but later on. So having a growth mindset, I think, is a huge aspect that I've leveraged throughout my career. And I've seen how that has been had a positive impact.
1: Yeah. The growth mindset is so powerful. I, I get exposed to that about just that thinking around it about six years ago It was a big change for me as well. I know I know what you're saying. It's a powerful thing to know that you can change the situation that you're in by changing Absolutely. who you are. Right. Well, maybe you could set the groundwork letting us know about Baylor Scott and White. It's the largest not for profit healthcare provider in Texas. maybe you can fill in more tell us more (laughs) about this great organization its history the mission
0: yes yes so dave you're right the largest not-for-profit healthcare system in texas and part of that is the combination of legacy baylor and scott and white which occurred in 2013 so the combination of those two amazing health systems coming together uh, created baylor scott and white health we have a hundred plus year legacy of caring We serve about 3 million customers a year, and we have about 50,000 employees who work across more than 1,000 access points throughout North and Central Texas. Our mission is to promote the well-being of all individuals, families, and communities, and we are founded as a Christian ministry of healing. That has always been the backbone of our health system. In fact, in many meetings across the system, we open in prayer. Our people often talk about feeling called to serve others through healthcare, and we believe very strongly that that's ingrained in our culture, in who we hire, in the decisions we make every single day. So we are a very strong value-based culture. Interesting. And you said customers, not patients. Why? I did. That's actually an intentional shift for I, us. I figured it was. <laughs> <laughs> We've always referred to our patients as patients in the last couple of years. And we are really transitioning our strategy being a customer centric health system. Very hard in a traditional healthcare organization. There's so much legacy around that. But we're really focused on how do we continue to improve around the experience for our our patients but looking at it through a customer-centric lens and what can we learn not only from healthcare but outside of the industry around customer centricity
1: yeah i was wondering if you benchmarked against other are there any specific industries if you're willing to share that you like to benchmark against is it in the hospitality we, space for example <clears throat> or is it so is it somewhere else
0: i think we're industry agnostic we really focus on looking at the organizations that are really known for customer centricity. So think about your Southwest Airlines, your Chick-fil-A, your Microsoft. We really learn from them, look at their best practices, and how can we infuse that into a legacy traditional healthcare infrastructure, but how can we continue to innovate and move beyond that? Because guess what, in healthcare today, it's not your traditional healthcare systems that are making the movement, it's the encroaching of your disruptors, like Amazon, like Walmart, who are stepping into the healthcare space for us to continue to be here 100 plus years in the future, (laughs) recognize that we have to be different and continue to innovate and learn from these other organizations.
1: Wow, that's cool. You mentioned Southwest Airlines. That's another organization. We had your counterpart, Julie Weber, on this podcast about a year or so ago. Now, you talked about the 100 years of service to the community. A lot has happened in the last two and a half years. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about how Bailiff Scott White has really made such a difference in people's lives, your patients as well as your employees during this period. What's been the impact on your organization and your caregivers
0: this last two years has been difficult for everybody for us you know our care teams and our providers are at the heart of our ability to provide exceptional care to our community and so that means we have to be very mindful and intentional around understanding where their barriers are and how do we continue to swaddle and support our team members in support of our patients and our customers I would say it really starts first with active listening. So we've spent a lot of focus and time really listening to what's working really well and where are the opportunities and what are the challenges with our people. We've learned a lot from that, a lot from that. And through that, we've made investments like comprehensive well-being services to make sure our teams feel supported and cared for so they can live their calling. So we've invested in a lot of programs around overall well-being, but particularly mental health well-being, not just for our team members but also in some case their dependents. Mm-hmm. And the other piece I think is really important is that connection between our people and their leaders. If those relationships are there, if the trust is there and leaders are doing their frequent check-ins with their team members, they can understand what is really not working and what support our people need. So we're really focused on that leadership development and really helping our leaders feel like they are supported and also have the ability to connect with their people.
1: And how does your department, Nikisha, bridge that connection that you're looking to make happen? What are the things and programs that you are implementing to make sure you you get that result
0: we've really been focused in the last year on building out um, new leadership development programs and coaching many of those things we're starting to roll out this year particularly around that Mm -hmm. in supporting our leaders around these conversations and check-ins we've created a number of ways within the uh, system through technology as well to allow our leaders to check in we constantly reinforce through communication with our leaders here are some moments that matter that you should always actively be thinking about. It's very easy for leaders to forget because they're just as busy. <laughs> they're on the right. front lines as well. Right. right? So
1: busier than ever. Right. During busier the, than during, ever. Right. So,
0: you know, we've been focused on finding the right times through particular moments to nudge our leaders to say, hey, have you checked in? which are team members, particularly your new hires, but also your people who've been here. Another thing I think is really important is creating toolkits. We're trying to make this really easy for leaders to really connect. So giving them kind of a starting point in how to connect. Some leaders are just not great at, and they're learning, even your most experienced leaders. So for us, we've really started with, how do we make this easy? and as simple as possible for leaders. And then once they start to get it, they can pick this up, they can do it themselves. We had to create a lot of resources for leaders internally. On the mental health and well-being side, we've invested a lot in not just our EAP, but other programs like Talkspace and other things like that, so that our employees have a resource to go to, to um, focus on resiliency and focus on their mental health. So we've invested monetarily in some of these programs That we think are very important
1: yeah we've seen that in our work leaders in medical and in biotech and scientific roles often come up through the science whereas in some other industries they might come up through management backgrounds and they often don't have a lot of those skills they come from the world of being right having the right answer (laughs) right (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) and now the things that you're coaching them on are a little bit more blurry right it's all about listening and not always giving the answer through yeah, that question. So, what have some of the results been? You've put in these programs. What kinds of things are you hearing?
0: Yeah, I think we are hearing a lot of great things. We hold a lot of focus groups pre and post implementation of some of these things to really understand is it resonating, and we pay attention to participation in a number of these programs. There's two particular metrics that we've been really paying attention to. Um, well, three actually. Our retention metric our vacancy rate, as well as our engagement scores. Mm -hmm. And the combination of those three and really digging deeper, right, because you can get the service data, but really understanding the impact by cohort or department or function, we've been really, really digging in. So we've seen really tremendous improvement in our, our vacancy rate. Our retention has become stronger, especially in a time when it's been very easy for people to leave and go anywhere for much more money, but we've seen such tremendous improvement in a lot of these things due to the focus. So we're pretty proud of that. We're proud of our culture. And we also recognize it doesn't end here. There's always things to continue to focus and invest in. So for us, we're continuing to focus on our people's experiences. Where are the barrier points that they are experiencing between, and not just in their day-to-day, but their day-to-day connection with our customers. And that's kind of the next phase for us and evolution for us in focus.
1: So you've already mentioned some things that are going well for your organization and for HR in particular. What else are you proud of, of what your HR team has accomplished?
0: There's been a lot of responsibilities on the HR folks. You know, anybody I've talked to, not just even internally, I've talked to CHROs and other peers in other industries, even in our industry, and everyone's saying the pressure for HR hasn't been as high ever as it has been in the last two years, because the organizations are really looking at, they understand that the people matter, right, for you to be able to to meet your goals as an organization. You can't do that without your people. And so the attention and the value of HR, I think, has been um, really prominent in the last two years. For my particular team, I've really been proud of their resiliency, honestly, because they have been on the hot seat with everybody else in focusing on things like the, some of these metrics that I've talked about and making sure our people feel supported. And we've asked them to do a lot of new things that they've not done before. So that's meant, even for us, investing in our talent within the HR organization as well. And so I'm proud of that the team doing more than we've ever asked them to do in the last two years, while they're also going through their own personal evolution as well, because I think this has been a period of reflection for many people during COVID. And so they've been able to balance the demands of the organization plus the demands of their personal life. And I think we've really poured our time into these HR teams to make sure they feel supported as well. They need it. I think one other thing I want to say is that communication has been of the utmost importance, not only for this team, but for the overall organization. And what we've learned in the last two years is that the transparency, the early communication, and the constant communication, making sure that they are informed of what's happening, what's changing, how can they play a role has been very important.
1: That's great. What's something that you feel like other than communication that you think your organization, maybe your department did really well during the pandemic? And then I have a follow up. Is there a lesson learned? Something Oh, <laughs> having been through this, we never would do that again that way. Well, oh, no, man. Would... So, so a good a good and bad. Do you have one of those one of each of those by chance?
0: Sometimes just things you try something and it doesn't work. We tried a lot of things in the last two and a half years because we're moving faster than ever. And the and needs
1: are changing, right? And changing needs, are changing. needs are
0: changing. Needs are changing what we've learned in those moments is that it's okay for some to try something new and it not work. And I think that's for an organization like us, we're very outcomes driven, um very success driven, that's a hard change. Even for us, we've implemented things and we re- recognized mm, that's not going to work, let's pivot. Right. Let's pivot. Right. And so I think being okay with that that empowers your people, though. That also encourages them that, you know what? Sometimes you can try something in a moment, recognize it doesn't work, and it's okay to do that. So that's one of the things I would say. Not that. in the
1: surgery room, Nikisha. Right? Not in the You're surgery talking about problem. management Not and organization. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not I'm surgery.
1: joking. I'm joking. <laughs>
0: um, but I, I think some of the good thing is the speed. We recognize we had to move faster, make decisions faster. Some of the bureaucracy and the hierarchy we just don't have the time to do that there's a solution or a problem or something we have to solve for, we get a rally, get people together, make the decision and move quickly. We love that. And we learned so much from that. We want to keep some level of that going forward. And our people really loved the ability for them, for us to come up with ideas and implement really quickly.
1: That's great. Well, I think it's now time to bring our friend Jim Tam into the conversation. It certainly does seem like you know, you're very deliberate and intentional about the way you design your leadership program, you rolled it out. What is your approach to looking at the business, you know, forward thinking
0: strategically? You know, sometimes the organizational strategy is being created and your HR teams are over here. We have a seat at the table. We want to make sure we're understanding and helping shape that strategy and then really being intentional around thinking about how that strategy is going to be propelled by our people. But also what are the pain points? And so we are really focused on making sure we are really understanding what elements of the HR priorities will help drive and accelerate the overall organizational strategy. That's really, really important to us. And that's where we spent a lot of time over the last couple of years. Um, and we have a new strategy that's rolling out really focused on customer centricity. How do we continue to look at that intersection between our customers' experience and our people's experience? And that's going to drive a huge element of our HR priorities going forward. I love that.
1: I'm a big supporter of the and i you know, being a person in
0: the um, majority. You know, I'm very passionate about that. And I know you are too. Tell me a little bit about Baylor Scott White's, you know, d and platform. I love that you brought that up. You know, that's been a huge focus area for us for a number of years. We really started again with active listening. We held a number of listening sessions across our organization to understand our people's experiences and particularly our non-majority experiences. And we learned a lot from that and we shared it. We shared it with our leaders. We shared our findings with our people. And it was eye opening. Through those listening sessions, we recognized that we wanted to focus on two particular areas. We wanted to focus on the culture of inclusion for our people. So how do we create environments that feel very inclusive for our people? What's our leader's role in that? What is my team member's role in that? And created initiatives really focused on that. The second focus area for us has been closing gaps in care. As a health system, that's what we should be focused on, right? But looking at particular opportunities around gaps in care that we can focus on, that we see our are, are people of color are particularly impacted by, and that's been our two big focus areas for us. Moving into 2023, we're really looking at the next phase of this work and really continuing to integrate all of these initiatives across the system. So we still have work to do, like every other organization. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, even for the most mature organization, doesn't mean that you've excelled at it, it just means it's constant work. It's continuous work, and we recognize that. Um, But knowing that your people have a voice, that they are listened to, that you are um, really looking at removing barriers, particularly for our people, Um, For our diverse populations is important and making sure that 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 those conversations are happening at every level. So the transparency and the accountability is there at every level. So that's that's continues to be a focus for us. Fantastic.
1: Nikisha, do you have your DEIB, somebody that's functional, responsible for that in your organization? Does that person report into you or report into the head of the hospital?
0: Diversity reports into the HR organization. I'm actually the, the interim chief diversity officer as well as the CHRO. We have a diversity, equity, inclusion team. But for me, I believe every single person is a DEIB leader. And so having just one leader, although you may have one leader or a team that's focus on helping build the strategy, I need every single person in this organization to understand their role in this. And we won't be successful unless everybody feels like they have an accountability to improving these experiences and really understand their role in DEIB.
1: Interesting. So it sounds like you don't want it to be a department. You want it to be integrated totally to everything to that you do. do. right? Integrated right.
0: into your programs, into your systems, into your mechanisms. How do you keep that real and live across your every single day? And that's that's our focus.
1: You know, I've interviewed a couple other HR leaders in healthcare like you at Mass General Brigham and Care Group in Rhode Island, people you probably know, Roche And, and can you t- just tell us about what's going on, the dynamics in healthcare? So we all access it, right? Everybody's a, a customer of your type of organization. What's going on in the, not just your organization, but the dynamics in the healthcare provider world? What Can you give us like a little bit of a snapshot of what's well, happening, what the challenges are, what? What are you, what keeps you up at night, I guess?
0: That area, talent acquisition. (laughs) Our number of job openings climbed from somewhere around 2,700 openings in December of 2020. That jumped to about 6,000 openings by the time we got to October of 2021. That was an exponential increase that we just weren't prepared for as an organization and probably the highest number of openings we've ever had as an organization. And you weren't alone in healthcare. And we were not alone. And guess what? When you go out and you look at, is the labor there? particularly for some of these hard to find jobs, like your RNs, et cetera. It was, I mean, it's a ch- it's a tough challenge. So your increase in your openings, you're seeing the applicant volumes go down. You're seeing the pressure for increased salaries going up. So it's, it just felt like a giant storm and, and we're all trying to hold on and say, can we survive it? Yeah. So we really started with the fundamentals and that was taking a holistic look at our recruitment process. And we looked at three big buckets, recruiting, retaining, and removing. And I'll talk a little bit about that. We wanted to really think through how do we improve the overall recruitment process, even from a productivity perspective? Do we have enough recruiters? How are they incentivized to close the volume? Does every person in the recruitment process understand their role and how they need to move quicker in this environment? So our hiring managers, if you're going to get a resume, how quickly are you going to review that resume? So we were looking at every step in the process and the time it took each person, the recruiter, the hiring manager, the candidate, and we said, we're going to put targets across all of those and hold our people accountable. So it took operations, HR, finance, we were all together really sharing the data and we saw significant improvement around that. On the retainment side, really focus on building new training and development programs where we recognize the talent isn't there. How do we grow our own? There are particular roles that we know, particular markets, just hard to find. So we're building those programs. We offered employee referral referral bonuses prior to the pandemic. And during this time, we expanded those to probably almost all of our jobs and roles. And we saw a significant impact to that. There is data that proves that if your people are referring talent, you're more likely to get that talent. There's a loyalty piece there. But on the removing side, we were focused on reducing the contract labor. As the vacancy rate was increasing, we had to bring in contract labor and we were losing people to travelers because they're getting $10,000 a week and, (laughs) and, and, and. Um, But we started to have focused efforts on how are we gonna reduce contract labor as we're seeing our vacancy rate reduce, but not impacting our patient ratios, that balance is very important. Now we're seeing the tide turning, travels are wanting to come back. We have a internal campaign, come back home. So we're outreaching our travels, and guess what, they're coming back. So we're really happy around that, the data, the transparency, and the joint accountability at every level is there. And we've seen a 55% improvement in our nursing vacancy rate in the last year. Significant improvement, we're very proud of that.
1: I can see we touched a nerve, Nikisha. I can tell <laughs> that you've been very focused on this the talent acquisition and retention we piece. Are. Yeah. You know, it's funny, I just read a story about a program that you've been doing for 20 years. It's an educational outreach program in Dallas, Garland, and Mesquite, helping disadvantaged students to get into the workforce and to get into healthcare. So I was just reading about that. So that's amazing. We started this podcast, Keystone, in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association, but we're doing podcasts all around the country. We think it's kind of the Sherm question of the podcast, Nero Sherm, Dallas HR. And Megan always asked that question, and here she is. If you could write a letter to your 20 or 25-year-old self, what <laughs> career professional advice would you give her?
0: That every opportunity is an opportunity and value a variety of experiences. If I reflect back on my career and what I've learned in the last couple of years, it's oftentimes... Sometimes the direct or the indirect opportunities that present yourself. Sometimes you don't feel like you're ready for, particularly as women. I have seen myself grow so much from trying things I've never tried before, or I've not had the experience before. But that's created an environment for me to learn. The other piece I would say it helped me really step out of the box. In my career, I didn't have mentors until later in my career, and I really. Had wished I had really reached out to a mentor or mentors early in my career because there's so much learning and experience that a really good mentor that you connect with and that person is really passionate about your growth and development can help shape you and mold you. So I've been really focused on being a mentor for others. Now, later in my career, there's so much learning I could have done sooner through that.
1: What do you hope not to leave undone, say 10 years from now? What do you want to make sure? I get this accomplished in my career.
0: We have strong leaders, but we've been really working on the maturity of building out this leadership program. For me, that's my legacy. I wanna make sure that we develop a launching pad, not just for new leaders coming into the organization, but our existing leaders to continue to drive the culture that we believe is important as we continue to go through a cultural transformation as an organization. So I believe in strong leaders. Leaders have such an impact on your culture, on your team members, and their experiences. So I don't want to leave that undone here. I have some work to do on our leadership program and continuing to develop our leaders. I want Baylor, Scott & White to have a brand for having the strongest leaders, not just in Texas, but in the country.
1: That's awesome. I know you're going to get that done. I always wonder about people that come in and then they have to be the leader of the people that they were peers next to, like kind of moving up (laughs) and just that dynamic. I mean, you manage that inside the organization for other functions, but as yourself, as you experience that, you're, you know, you're peers with these HR uh, colleagues, and then you head up the function. Can you talk a little bit about that moving up inside an organization?
0: Yeah, I've been with the organization, I guess, going on eight years. I was a director for HR shared services and and then I had it promoted into the VP of Total Rewards. And I have peers who have been here with me throughout the eight years, and many of them report to me today. I right. think that shift was tough, especially with your closest peers, where you were side by side yeah. <laughs> for a number of years. But I think the important piece of that is a couple of things. Number one, continuing to invest in that relationship and the trust factor between me and my peers, regardless of I'm their leader, that trust factor is important. So I really focused on that. And then number two, I think um, your peers now have to see you in a different light, but how do you really intentionally focus on a new relationship where you're seeing clear expectations and guardrails and, but doing it in a way that feels supportive to your peers. And you can't forget that your relationship was different before. That doesn't mean that it has to be significantly different either. But you have to find the right boundaries. For many, I think, they want to make sure that their leader is open, transparent, supportive, but accountable.
1: I like your approach on that. If you could go to dinner with anyone who you don't know, who would it be and why?
0: I would go to dinner with President Obama. I really want to talk to him about how he felt being such a young, up-and-comer when he really right he just moved, came on the
1: scene he just came on knew the scene about he him around the country. knew about him <laughs> yeah. in chicago but
0: <laughs> yeah. Right, he, yeah yeah I see some parallels there for me i'm a young up-and-comer and for some people in, you in know, my organization it was oh she's the chro today right so i think there's some things and learnings for me as a person of color just like i am and he was a young leader and what were one question i really want to ask him if he thinks back to um one of his biggest learnings in the last couple of years, what that would have been. So that's my choice.
1: That's good. And do you have a secret life hack that you're willing to tell us all about? Maybe we could use it.
0: I don't know if it's a life hack, but something that I've really been intentional about in the last year, particularly as I moved into the CHRO role, is protecting dinner time with my family. I mean, the demands of work, it impacts your personal life, regardless of whether you want to admit it or not. I protect that time with my family. Because it's so important for me to recharge with them and invest our personal time together. Even though the days are hard or they're great at work or whatever it is, <laughs> that I'm going to come home. I'm going to be there religiously for dinner time. And even if I have to go work afterwards, <laughs> get back Good online, enough. that I'm going to protect that time for, with them.
1: That's great. Well, Nakisha, it's been so enjoyable to have you as a guest on our podcast. Thank you, Keisha Thank
0: you, Megan, and thank you, Dave. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.